Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast, Life Beyond the Massage Table. I am Candace Eisner, and this week I want to talk to you guys about the whole idea of negotiating your contract. Welcome to Life Beyond the Massage Table, a podcast for massage therapists, or really anyone who works in health and wellness. I'm here to help you take a look at your business and practice in new ways, to think outside the box, and to shift gears from the same old stuff that isn't helping you build the life and the business that you really want. Let's get started. Hey guys, happy Monday or happy whatever day it is and whatever part of the world that you're in right now. We're back. We're back live. So if you're listening to this on the day the podcast is released or at least within the first week, It is now September 2017. Wow, where did the time go? (laughs) I don't know where the time went. It's kind of crazy. We're already looking at fall here. It's post-Labor Day. Kids are back to school. People are kind of returning to normal life, if you want to think of it that way. I don't know if I want to think of it as normal life. It's just kind of the life beyond, it's life beyond the massage table. No, it's life beyond the summer weather and chilling by the pool or by the campfire or in your backyard with a cup of coffee or whatever you like to do in that summer weather. Assuming, of course, you're in the Northern Hemisphere. So, you know, it's funny because I've been on the internet, as some of you know, since I was a kid. And uh, even though I'm, you know, almost 40, um, I was one of the early adopters of that technology. Yet, funny enough, um, I still tend to think of things in a very uh, Canadian-centric kind of my world centric way, Um, even though I know that some of you may be listening to this from, say, the Southern Hemisphere, and it's not fall where you are, or maybe you don't have the kind of very obvious four seasons we have here in Toronto. So yeah, that's kind of a funny, funny little aside there as I'm as I'm talking and doing my little intro for our podcast this week. So yeah, this podcast may degenerate into a conversation about the weather if I don't move on. So let's move on to the topic of contracts. So this week's topic, I really want to talk about contracts from the idea of being the person negotiating the contract, whether you're the clinic looking to bring on new therapists or a studio looking to bring on new fitness trainers or, you know, sort of whatever it is that you do, or if you're the fitness trainer, you're the massage therapist, you're the physio, you're the chiro, whatever it is you do, you're the place looking for somewhere to move your practice or to start your new practice. Because overall, I think one of the points we tend to miss as uh, self-employed people, uh, independent contractors, entrepreneurs, is that it is a business negotiation when you come into these things. You are negotiating the contract. You're not, you know, it's not like an employee situation where if you're going to accept the job, for the most part, you have to accept the contract as written, which actually that is negotiable as well. For those of you who didn't know that, particularly if you're in a sort of a, let's call it a hot career, or you're in a point in your career where you have certain knowledge and skills that are very hard to find, even if you're an employee, you can negotiate your contract. There's nothing that says you can't. All to say, you know, we just, we tend to, and I think part of it in the massage therapy profession, because I know a lot of you listening are massage therapists, I think part of it is that the, the profession is heavily weighted towards uh, females or women, you know, female identifying people. And overall, we have a tendency to just kind of 
go with what we're told. I think it's just the way we're raised. I'm not saying there aren't strong women out there who are like, oh, hell no, I'm just going to do what I feel is right. You know, there are definitely women like that. But overall, we're kind of raised to be, you know, toe the line, follow what we're told, that kind of thing. And I think that is part of why it shows up so heavily in the massage therapy profession in particular is that, you know, when you're when you're given a contract, you just kind of sign it and you don't really think about it. Um, but you really should, you know, you should really read through the finer points. And if there's something there that you're not comfortable with, or if you're the, um, if you're a clinic writing a contract and you're finding that people are kind of reading certain points and going, well, hey, wait, no, maybe you should go back to the drawing board and think about this a little further. So that's what I really want to talk about today is just all those ins and outs of contracts from my personal perspective. Now, you know, caveat here before we get into the nitty gritty. I think you guys know this, but just to be super clear, especially if you're new to the podcast, I am not a lawyer, okay? I am talking about this stuff from my personal point of view as an entrepreneur, someone who's been self-employed for over 10 years, who had a eight-year career as a massage therapist. Of course, there was schooling before that and all that good stuff. So I am talking just from my personal experience and the personal experience of some of my peers. I am not talking from the, a legal perspective, as in I am not a lawyer. So take everything I say as sort of advice from my experience if anything I say makes you go, wait, I'm not so sure about that, check with somebody who knows. Um, if it has to do with the financials, check with a really good accountant who actually knows self-employed, especially self-employed healthcare or fitness, you know, sort of your realm, what you do. Or check with a lawyer if it's the legal implication stuff, especially a lawyer who knows really well local policies, because sometimes it's going to come down to what a local bylaw says, and that is going to be, you know, the, the sticking point. Um, it may not necessarily be, you know, Canadian law or American law or whatever. It could be some local bylaw for your little town that you didn't know about that that's important to know. So there's my, you know, my disclaimer, just want to be super clear with you guys, because I don't want anybody to get into a situation because, well, Candace said on the podcast, well, uh -uh, you know, this is purely personal advice from my own experiences. So uh, yeah, let's, let's continue on with this topic. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is that idea that I already mentioned that when you're negotiating a contract, when you're looking at contracts, it is a business negotiation. It is not an employee-employer situation. Now, if it is an employee-employer situation, you can still negotiate the contract to a certain extent. So don't feel like you're stuck if you read something and you're like, oh, I know these guys are paying me, you know, a salary regardless of how many clients I'm bringing in and seeing, but I don't know if I feel comfortable with this. That's fine. You can you can still negotiate. But if it's not, if you are an independent contractor, if you are expected to handle your own taxes, your own um, HST, GST, which I realize is other taxes, if you are expected to bring in your own supplies, uh, do your own marketing, bring in your own clients... Uh, any of that kind of stuff that sort of defines you as more of an independent contractor versus an employee, you really need to think about that and realize that it is a business negotiation and not an employee situation, okay? Now, for those of you who are hiring 
massage therapists you know, and, and hiring, I'm using as a very loose term, basically, you're looking for somebody to bring into your clinic or studio or wherever it is that you have as a space. You're looking for other professionals to bring in to um, have more services available to your clientele or, you know, fill those spaces where, you know, you're just booked solid all the time. You need somebody else to help them um, take some of that on. How are you looking for people? Because if you are posting looking for resumes and cover letters and all that stuff from the employee, you know, looking for a job world, you should probably reassess that. Because this is not an employee-employer situation. And if you are setting out right from the get-go with that mindset, that is not setting things up for a good negotiation. If you're having trouble finding good therapists or good uh, practitioners, good coaches, whatever it is you do, that could be the number one point that you need to stop doing. I remember uh, actually myself back... uh, when I'd been in Toronto for a while and I'd really had that mindset shift where I was like, no, I, this, these are business negotiations. So if I'm going to bring my years of experience into somewhere else, I want this to be a business negotiation. And there was a place opening not too far from the house that I just purchased. And it sounded really good. It sounded like it could be a good opportunity. So I, I popped them an email because I'd heard that they were looking um, and said, you know, hey, you know, here's a little bit of my background. I might be interested in working with you guys. You know, um, what what are you guys looking for in um, massage therapist? Da 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 da. And they emailed me back, but basically sounded like a form letter saying, well, if you're interested in the position, send us a resume. Needless to say. I didn't send them a resume. And by the way, I know for absolute sure that this was not an employee situation. They this clinic was paying per like uh, like the normal way. Like uh, I believe it was a percent split. When I say the normal way, i.e. it was a contractor position. It was you were self-employed. It was not an employee situation. That That's what I mean by that. So they had this attitude that, you know, they were an employer and I should be sending them a resume. And, I, and right away I was like, well, I'm not interested because that's not what I was looking for. So if you're a clinic... You might, or again, a a studio or whatever it is you do, you might want to rethink that. Now, I know it's weird. You're like, well, how am I going to find somebody who's a good fit if I'm not asking for a resume? Well, ask for something else. Say, say for example, you want them to um, pop you an email with their, obviously their name, a bit about their background, how long they've been in practice, and uh, what it is they're looking for in a clinic or studio or wherever you are, and See where it goes from there, you know. You should be able to tell within an email or two if this person's going to be a good fit for you and if they're and if you're going to be a good fit for them. Like it should be pretty obvious because if you guys are getting along, the email exchange is going really well, you've got a good vibe from them, that's a pretty good indicator. You don't need a resume to know that. Yes, that I'm not saying that stuff's not going to come up. It will come up, you know, when you come in for sort of a mutual interview. They check out your clinic space. You interview them and find out more about, you know, their years of experience and what it is they do. Um, You can certainly ask to see, for example, if they're a regulated health practitioner, you can ask to see some proof that they are actually regulated, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. That can happen in the mutual business meeting interview type thing that happens. And, uh, you know, if also if you're concerned about, you know, making sure somebody's legit or they do have the experience, they say you can certainly ask them for references, but they are business references. 
So again, you know, um, if you're the person looking for a job, it is, and again, job is in quotes. It's just, it's the language we have out here. If you're looking for a place to work, if you're looking for a clinic to work out of, this is an employee employer situation again. I'm going to keep saying that because I just want to make that really clear. So if you're looking for a clinic to work out of or a studio to work out of, whatever, um, it is perfectly fine as long as you've gotten full consent for you to bring the, you know, the info from a couple of your happy past clients. It is totally fine. Again, they have to have given full consent you and how much information you're allowed to say. So if they don't want you to say what they're being treated for, and which is totally fine, that is completely fine, but they're fine with saying, yeah, yeah, you can say that I'm one of your clients and give my, my name and phone number. Just have that written down on a little thing, put it in their chart, and that is totally fine. You can do that. It's not a testimonial. It is simply a situation. So in case you're worried, well, I'm not allowed to have testimonials. No, 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 no. It's a situation where you're trying to find a new clinic space to work out of and you want some proof for this person who might be you know bringing you on into their clinic environment that you are good at what you do and you've had happy past clients well if this past client gives full consent for you to do that then you can give them the information say sure contact this person and just chat with them about what I'm like and then the client then has the choice about how much they want to tell or not tell so that's just something I really wanted to cover here because I think it's just really important because I see so many places asking for resumes and cover letters and just that comes from the employee employer world. And it does not make sense when what you're actually doing is you're having a negotiation between two businesses as to whether or not they're going to work together. So throw that stuff out and start thinking about other ways to attract practitioners if you're the clinic and if you're the practitioner, start thinking about, you know, like protecting yourself and not working for places that are kind of expecting to treat you like an employee because that's not really the situation here, is it? So now that I've covered that, let's talk a little bit about some of the things to think about when you're looking for a new contract. Um, or whether you're, when you're negotiating a contract and also some of the things to think about if you're the person writing the contract too, if you're the clinic owner or studio owner. So here's something, here's some of the things to think about. Um, actually, one of the things that I know is a bit of a hot topic is the idea of giving a demo treatment or um, showing off what it is you can do. There's pros and cons to that. Um, I know there are clinic owners out there who would argue to the end of the earth that it is very important for them to feel what the practitioner's treatments are like, and then they will feel if they feel comfortable or not with this person coming into their business environment. I definitely hear that. On the other hand, I do hear it from the uh, practitioner's point of view that like you shouldn't be giving out a bunch of free treatments in order to find the right clinic for you. So... <sighs> It's a really hard topic uh, to really say, you know, somebody's right and somebody's wrong because there is no right and wrong here, actually. I will say if you are asking somebody to give you a demo treatment, and this is the most common with massage therapy um, that I've seen, but certainly other practices have this as well. It's okay to do, but make sure it's very short. You're not asking somebody for 30 minutes or 20 minutes, 10 to 15 tops. 
and you really just to get a sense for what the person's hands are like and that's it you should not be abusing that asking for a full half hour for a full treatment um and also you should be providing the stuff you should not be expecting somebody to show up with like oh well i expect you to show up with like your linens and your oil and all this other no 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 provide stuff and if the person says they have allergies like make sure you've got a few th things possible or let the person know in advance and say like if you have allergies let me know i will make sure i have something else for you so if you're gonna expect them to do a short demo treatment make sure it is really short make sure it's not completely ridiculous either like hey i want you to do a 15 minute demo but i want you to do a hot stone treatment for full body like come on really no make it realistic like say you know i just want you to do a little bit of treatment on my back so i can feel what your your treatment style is like to me that's fine and it does respect the practitioner but here's the thing that i want to say if the person says no because they respect themselves and they expect to be paid then have another way and respect that that uh, fact either be willing to pay the person a little bit for their time like figure out you know what 15 minutes of treatment should cost or find another way, you know, like, like I, I said a minute ago, if they've got uh, references that you can call, then you can call some of their past clients, again, with the client's full consent. Yeah, that's, that's all I'll say about the demo massage thing is just, it's a sticky point. Neither of you, whether you're the therapist coming in or the business owner should be too stuck on the absolutes on that. Because there are two sides to the argument, and they're both very valid. So if you require a demo massage or you don't require a demo massage, just, you know, think about that stuff a little bit. So another thing I want to mention about contracts, and this is probably something you've heard before, but I really want to emphasize it. Never, 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 never sign a contract on the spot. So if you're the practitioner and you haven't seen this contract, you haven't really had any time to review it, take it home. Okay. If you have had time to review it, like if they sent it to you in advance, like say you're already like past the point where, you know, they know they want you and they just want you to come in to sign the paperwork and they've sent it to you in advance. So you can review it. That's fine. That because you already have reviewed it. Right. Just, you know, make sure that they haven't snuck in some clause. Most most places are honest and no one's going to do this. But, you know, just skim it over just to make sure like if they've sent it to you in advance and then they send you they give you another copy to sign when you get there. Just skim it over just to make sure that something hasn't changed. Um, but, yeah, never sign something on the spot and make sure that uh, you have time to review it. It's also a really good idea to have a lawyer review it if you can at all afford that just because you never know like I said earlier you know there might be some bylaw you didn't realize was going to be an issue or they might have some clause in there that you don't even understand you know so you are a massage therapist or some other health or wellness practitioner you are not a lawyer well most of you maybe somebody listening out there is both a healthcare practitioner and a lawyer in which case kudos to you because that's amazing that's a lot of schooling um wow I'm impressed <laughs> But yeah, um, have somebody who knows the legal system in and out, at least in terms of, you know, your work, uh, review your contract before you sign it. That's always a good idea. So here's some of the things to think about in contracts. Uh, I'm not going to go into them, you know, in deep detail, but it's just things to watch out for and think about before you decide whether or not you're going to sign something. So actually speaking of signing something, one thing I want to make clear is that when you are presented with a contract, if you sign it, 
be prepared to actually follow the what it says in the contract. Don't sign something and go, oh, well, you know, no one's going to enforce that anyway. That's ridiculous. Or, oh, I've been told that this part of the contract isn't enforceable anyway because of our bylaws or whatever it might be. Don't go in with that attitude. If there's something in the contract that you are not comfortable with, have it changed before you sign the contract. End of discussion. You know, don't sign something going, oh, well, you know, you never, they're not going to enforce that because you know what? They might. And they might win because you signed the contract and you don't want to have to be going to court over something that you kind of went, ah, you know, it's probably not going to be a big deal. It's just not worth it. So seriously, have it negotiated out. If they refuse to take it out, maybe that clinic, even if it felt like it was going to be a good space for you, maybe it's not. So some other things to think about are non-competition clauses. And this is one of the ones actually that, you know, people sometimes go, ah, you know, no one's going to enforce that. Well, you know, so what's a non-competition clause? It's the idea that um, if you're working at that clinic, you shouldn't start working at another clinic or open your own clinic, like just down the street. And the reason why is because you're taking business away from the clinic, the other clinic, the, you know, the clinic you're signing the contract with. Now, some people would say, and this is, tends to be the, you know, the solo practitioner say, well, you know, they're my clients. They don't have the right to tell me to do that or to not do that. I would argue that's not really true because you need to think about this person's business and this person's bottom line, they have bills to pay too. It's not just all about you and your uh, clients. It's about respecting somebody else's space, the space that they have allowed you to come in and treat out of. So if there's a non-competition clause in your contract and it's very reasonable, say um, you may not work for one year within a one kilometer radius of the clinic. That's a very reasonable non-compete, non-compete clause. You know, you have to decide for you. I'm just saying for me, that feels very reasonable. Unless you work in a too teeny, teeny, teeny town and the only space you could work out of is within a one kilometer radius. Otherwise you'd be working in another town, you know, or practically, or there's no, you know, there's no business spaces outside of that one kilometer radius. Then you have to reassess. But I'm talking about generally speaking in cities, whether, you know, larger cities or smaller cities, a one kilometer radius within for one year is usually a pretty reasonable clause. If they're like five kilometer radius or, you know, 10 years or something crazy like that, have it taken out or have it renegotiated to be more reasonable. You know, again, consult a lawyer about this stuff, but I really do feel that non-compete clauses are reasonable as long as they are fairly short and the distance isn't very long. So, because really all it's doing is preventing you from opening a clinic next door to your previous clinic and, and taking a lot of their clients away, which is just, that's disrespectful of somebody else's business. You don't want to do that. No matter, no matter how things might've ended between you and them, okay? Another thing to think about is the non-solicitation clause, you know, so what's the idea of a non-solicitation clause? Well, it's the idea that when you are uh, leaving, or even if you're not leaving, um, even if you're planning to stay there, you are soliciting business away from the clinic that you're currently working at to go somewhere else. Now, again, you know, this is a tricky one because your client's are yours if the clients want to follow you and continue to see you. 
But on the other hand, again, you have to respect the fact that this business that you've been working out of is a business and they do have bills to pay, you know, and maybe those clients are more attracted to the clinic space, the business space than they are in seeing you. So this is a tricky one um, and it really does depend on what your arrangement is. A non-solicitation clause, if you're working at a spa, is actually probably pretty reasonable. Within reason, you, you know, if you leave the clinic and you're a health practitioner, you do need to be able to at least tell people that you're leaving. You know, if they don't allow you to do that, then that's a red flag. You need to at least be able to tell people you're leaving. You don't have to tell them where you're going. But you need to be t- able to tell them you're leaving and who they can turn to for treatments in the future. Okay, those are, those are the two most important things if you're a health practitioner working at a spa, right? So if they don't allow you that, then that's a red flag. But if they have a non-solicitation clause, generally speaking, that's probably not unreasonable. It is a spa. The spa environment tends to be more spa clients rather than your personal clients, unless you have an arrangement where you're an independent contractor working out of a spa and you're just renting the space. That's different. I'm talking about if you're like if you actually kind of work for for the spa on a commission basis. Okay, so this is another thing to look out for, watch out for. Make sure it's not unreasonable. Make sure it's not blocking you from following the um, the bylaws and policies and regulations of your of your regulating body, basically. So if you're a massage therapist in Ontario, that would be the CMTO. Okay. Another thing that's really important in contracts is an exit clause. You know, if you want to leave, how does that work? So <laughs> whether it, whether it's leaving uh, early or, you know, like in other words, uh, leaving at the end of the contract, because some contracts do have an, an end date. Others are, they don't have a specific end date. They just kind of keep going um, until one party asks to end it. The contract should specifically say in it, if you want to leave the clinic, how does that work? I actually had a contract once that did not say that. And it left myself and the, the person owning the clinic in a very sticky situation. I ended up giving two weeks notice at the on the advice of friends. And honestly, now I know better. Now I know that a month's notice probably would have been much more respectful. But the problem was that the contract didn't really say that. And the person I was giving notice to didn't really react the best. She was pretty upset. So... Probably in the end, at least in terms of my own sanity, it was probably for the best that I only gave two weeks notice. But it's hard to say, you know, honestly. I mean, and this is water under the bridge. This is a long time ago that this happened, just to be clear. It did leave a very tricky situation, not having that in the contract. So if you're writing the contract, make sure you do explicitly say in the contract, if you wish to end the contract, here's how that works. If I wish to end the contract as the clinic owner, if I want you to leave, here's how that works. And again, it should be reasonable for both parties so that the regulations and bylaws, et cetera, of your governing body can be followed while still res- and also respecting the clients while still respecting both parties in the contracts so of the clinic owner and the practitioner. So that's really important to have in there. Another thing to think about when you're looking at the contract is, uh, is the space exclusively yours? Because that's going to change the arrangement. Are you allowed to redecorate? Are there hours that you're not allowed to be in that space? Are there things that you're allowed, you're not allowed or allowed to bring into the space? So that should all be pretty explicit in your contract. 
that's that's pretty that's pretty clear so i don't even really need to talk about that too much more i think we can just move on to the next one so another one related to that actually is you know supplies so what does the basically it should be very explicit what does the clinic provide in your contract are they providing all your supplies are they providing some of your supplies what's shared what are you allowed to bring in what are you expected to bring in do they provide marketing do they provide computer access is there a receptionist you know, do are you expected, and this is another thing in terms of providing, are you expected to help answer the phones? So does everybody just help each other answer the phones and book appointments for each other? Or is it more like you answer the phone and um, if it's not for you, you, you take a message and, you know, the other practitioner calls back? Or is there not a central line at all and each individual practitioner is expected to book their own appointments throughout, through whatever method they like? So you know, their cell phone or their online booking or whatever. So how's that work? Um, are there other shared duties? Are you expected to share in helping out with the laundry? Are you expected to help clean this clinic space? Or does, is there a cleaner or the clinic owner um, who does all that stuff? So what are your rights and responsibilities, so to speak, when it comes to the clinic space? What are your responsibilities when it comes to your own space, like your own treatment room? Are you expected to bring all your own supplies or are some things provided? All of that should be pretty explicit in the contract. It should not be sort of left to interpretation. Another thing that's really important for healthcare practitioners is the files. And I know this is something that people get really nervous about. So basically it should be very explicit in your contract. Who is responsible for the patient files? Do you have shared files or is it like one file per therapist? So I've, I've worked in both. I've worked in an environment where we had one shared um, filing cabinet. This was back in the day where everybody was still using paper. Now these days there's, it's a lot more electronic. But uh, I've worked in environments where it was one file per patient and everybody wrote in the same file. And I've worked in environments where it was one file per practitioner and you as a practitioner were responsible for maintaining your own files. So that me that what that meant is if a client came to see you and they'd never seen you before, they had to fill out a health history all new. Now I can tell you from the client perspective, this is annoying. <laughs> I, w I, I just I'm being honest here. Um, if it's a clinical environment where they're advertising it as a full service clinic and not individual practitioners who happen to rent rooms, that's a very different environment, right? But if it's a clinical environment where you know, um, it's advertised as one clinic, one holistic clinic. But every time you see a new practitioner, you have to fill out a new health history and new information. That's weird. And that and that's bothersome. You know, people don't want to have to do that. So, you know, if you're a clinic owner, it's just something to chew on there and to think about. Um, but over, overall, all is to say the the contract should be super clear. Who do the files belong to? And I'm putting belong to in quotes because they, technically speaking, the files actually belong to the patient or the client and not to the practitioner per se. The information in them is health um, information that is of the patient or the client and not, you know, you as the practitioner. But still, who is responsible for maintaining those charts, those files? Um, if, uh, if you leave the clinic, is it a fellow health practitioner who is going to be responsible for maintaining those files? Because here in Canada, that's really important. It should be a fellow health practitioner and not 
like a random, like who's the custodian of the files? It should not be a receptionist or someone who's not a health practitioner. It should be another healthcare practitioner. If you leave the clinic, it should be someone else in that realm who's looking after your files. That's really important. And if you are responsible for them, then it should say explicitly in the contract that you are to take them with you. And then that's that's your problem sort of to deal with. And then and then you, I hope, would follow your regulations of your of your regulatory body. Um, another thing to think about is actually how are the files stored and for how long. So if you do have to leave the files there, if that's in the contract, and that's fine if that's the case. How, how long are the files stored? Does it follow, again, what you're looking for here is, does it follow the regulations of your regulatory body? So, you know, if the CMTO, it's 10 years or 10 years past the last treatment after, 10 years past the last treatment or 10 years after the person turns 18 at, if they were a minor when they were treated. Whew. Probably I missed something, but that was the regulation back when I was still in practice. So, you know, look it up if you want to be absolutely sure, but, you know, that's, that's what it is for a massage therapist here in Ontario. Um, it should also explicitly say who else has access to the file. And if you need to get access, say you're being called um, to give testimonial uh, or just to give a copy of your files uh, because a motor vehicle accident case, for example, you should be able to get access to those files. So it should be written in the contract explicitly that, you know, in that case, you will be given access to the file. Now, that doesn't mean that you're allowed to just walk into the clinic and walk up and take the chart and start photocopying. No, it might be the case that the receptionist or the business owner or someone else copies the chart for you and gives it to you. But still, it you should still have access to that information. You should not have to you know, fight for it. That should be in the contract. Another thing to think about is what happens if you want to take time off? And that should be explicitly written in the contract as well. A good contract should just say like, you know, that's completely up to you and we have no we have no say in it, <laughs> written better than that. But um, some clinics want to have a little bit more control over when therapists take vacation. I do understand to a point, um, if you're a business owner and literally everybody's on vacation the same week, that makes it kind of tricky. You basically have to shut down the clinic, which wouldn't be a bad thing um, as long as you know in advance. Um, but it's all about respecting the business owner and not deciding, you know, hey, I got this great deal on tickets to Cuba. See ya. You know, like, uh, hold on, you know, uh, hold on. Like, we have a business to run here. You can't just like take off when you feel like it. So it, it's it's more about respecting other people's businesses so that should be written in the contract, but it should be reasonable. So if you want to take vacation, are you expected to give notice? How does that work? You know, um, if you've got receptionists, how much notice should you be giving them so they don't have to rebook a whole bunch of your appointments because nobody wants to have to do that, you know, that kind of thing. If you need to take a sick day, how does that work, you know? Um, is it your responsibility to call your patients? Do they call your patients? Again, it's going to depend on what your arrangement is. Are there receptionists or do you book all your own appointments? You know, it, sometimes it's obvious what happens. Sometimes it's less obvious depending on the clinical environment and what services are available. So make sure that's written pretty clear in there as well. And another thing to think about in terms of taking time off is, can you have somebody come in as a locum or a subcontractor under you? Like, is that permitted by your contract? Most contracts will say no, I, that I've seen, at least in my years. Although I will say sometimes they say yes, but only under certain circumstances. So for example, if you have a injury, a, long ter a longer term injury, say you've broken your arm and you're not going to be able to work for 
say the doctors tell you three months, you're not going to be able to work for three months between the surgeries and healing time and da, 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 da. Okay. Can you bring somebody in to practice for you for three months to take over your practice? Uh, if you can find somebody that quick, that should be in your contract, whether or not you're allowed to do that kind of thing. Similarly, pregnancy leave, right? Self-employed people don't tend to get uh, too much time off when they have a baby. Um, so if you're female and you plan on having kids, you might want to make sure something about that is in your contract. Are you allowed to hire a locum to cover you? Or is the clinic going to be the one hiring the locum to cover you? And, you know, and if you hire a locum, are, is it completely up to you to decide on the arrangements? Because you could hire a locum and you could be taking a very small percentage of what they're making because they're your clients after all, right? Or you could not, you know, but that should be explicitly said in your contract, whether or not you're allowed to have subcontractors under certain circumstances come into the clinic. I will say, however, um, don't be surprised if the business owner wants to have some say on who comes in. And of course, that's reasonable, right? They have to work with this person, too, for the amount of time that you're away. So you should probably let them have some say on who it is you hire as a locum. I think that's just reasonable. And uh, another really important thing that should be covered in your contract is the financials. So... What are the terms, you know, um, in other words, like who sets the fees? Is it you or the clinic? Who's taking the payments? Is it you or a receptionist or someone else? How does payout work? So do you take all the all the um, money and then you pay out the clinic? Or does the clinic take all the money and pay out you? And another thing you need to be careful about is... Uh, when you're looking at your taxation stuff. So if you're in Ontario or if you're in Canada, you know, we have we have uh, taxes we have to pay as massage therapists, at least for now, uh, the HST or GST. Now, if you're working at a reasonable clinic, they're going to give you the entire amount of your HST and you'll be dealing with it, right? However, what some clinics do, and I, this actually happened to me one place I was working and I didn't realize what an issue it was, is they take their cut off of the total amount that you take in. And that includes the taxes. So that they're taking a cut of your taxes. They should not be doing that, period, unless they are actually filing the taxes. If they're filing the taxes, that's a whole other thing. So it's just something to think about and be careful with when they're doing the math, basically, on how much you owe them on with treatments. Um, you definitely don't want to end up in a situation where the clinic is collecting tax money and then keeping it because that's actually very illegal. <laughs> that can get them in a lot of trouble with CRA. So yeah, just make sure that that is happening um, or not happening. Like make sure, in other words, all the taxes are going to the right places and the clinic is not taking their cut, including the taxes. And while actually we're talking about financials, another bit of advice from my personal experience that I want to give you guys is that um, if the clinic or studio you're working at has receptions that are collecting on that treatment or session fee, make sure they take responsibility for this and it's actually clearly stated in the contract because I worked somewhere where it stated in the contract that the practitioner was responsible for the fees, yet there were receptions taking the fees. So it was a little bit weird there. But what ended up happening is there was this patient of the clinic. So it was not somebody who was my patient. Like, in other words, I didn't bring them into the practice. I, they didn't come in through my website or through my booking system or anything like that. 
They came in directly through the clinic and they'd been coming to the clinic many years before I got there, as far as I know. Um, Definitely before I got there, though. And they did not pay for a whole bunch of their treatments in a row. And I did not know this for several weeks until it was payout time. And I said, well, wait a second, like there's a bunch of money missing. And they said, oh, well, we let so-and-so walk out without paying, but he always pays in the end. He just, he pays for things in lump sums. He doesn't like to pay per treatment. And I kind of gave them a bit of a heck over this, but I let it go because they, they promised me that it was never an issue. Well, and ended up unfortunately being a big issue with this client. And actually, I am still to this day owed about a thousand bucks. I think it's over a thousand bucks actually for this particular client. Um, what ended up happening is I called the clinic owner on this problem. I said, like, hold on, like right now I am owed X amount of money and I have not been paid. And the clinic owner said, well, but it says in your contract that you're responsible for the fees. And I said, I shot back, no, yeah, it does. But it's your receptionists that you have hired that are not taking the fees. And I have told them that this is not okay. And it's still happening. So this, you guys need to correct it. So they did. But I'm still, the, the money never came because this guy just never came back and paid his fees. And I, I believe the clinic owner was also owed money that never, never got paid out. So um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an awkward, very unfortunate situation. So my advice to you, whether you're the clinic owner or whether you're the practitioner, is don't let this stuff happen. Don't do people the favor saying, you know, oh, well, it's okay. You don't have to pay your treatment now. You can pay it later. Like, no. Maybe, only, maybe if you hold a, con- a credit card number that you charge later, maybe then it would be okay. But just don't, don't do it. Don't. People should have to pay for their treatments as they happen. So something to think about, don't let people walk out without paying because it's a crappy situation for everybody involved. So this podcast episode is getting a little long. So obviously I needed to talk to you guys. <laughs> no, obviously, uh, you know, I had a lot to say about this contract topic. Actually, it is a big one. It is a big one. You know, negotiating business terms, it is a huge one. And it's something that I think a lot of us, um, we get nervous about and we don't really talk a lot about because, yeah, we just, we kind of go, well, you know, I'll just sign whatever and I can get working and it's going to be no problem. And you think that, you know, you think it's going to be bad. The other thing that tends to happen is we walk into these negotiations kind of with our fists up a little bit going, you know, even if the person seems like a really nice person, you're like, oh, well, contracts, those are legal things. I don't want to have to deal with that. And yeah, you know, one thing I probably should have said when I started this episode is one of the most important parts of contract negotiation is to go in with a friendly attitude, you know? Yes, if things start to go south, then definitely you don't have to keep smiling and taking it. But uh Definitely go in with a friendly attitude and a smile and remember that, you know, like both you and the person you're negotiating with, whether you're the clinic or whether you're the practitioner, you know, both of you want to have a good outcome. You both want to have, if you like each other, you want to work together. So that's, you know, that's to your benefit. And obviously you go in with a good attitude because these are people you have to work with. You don't want to have to have a bad attitude and get started on the wrong foot. Nobody wants that. So... I'm going to end this right here this week because I think that's an important point to end on is just remember these are people you're working with. So yeah, you should be looking through all the nitty gritty of your contract, but hey, you know, 
try to be friendly, try to be upbeat and positive about it. And, you know, be happy that you've got a great place to work at because not everybody does. Sometimes it's really hard to find a good clinic or studio fit, right? So that's it for this week. I'm so glad you guys are listening again. And uh, if you have suggestions for topics that you'd like me to cover between now and the end of the year, I am all ears. I am more than happy to cover something if you've got something. My inbox is always open to you guys. I am Candice, C-A-N-D-I-C-E, at Nixie, N-Y-X-I-E, dot C-A. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for listening into this week's podcast episode. I really do appreciate your time. If you're new to the podcast, hey, let me introduce myself. My name is Candice Eisner, and I am a former registered massage therapist in the province of Ontario. I like to say retired registered massage therapist, actually, because it sounds a little bit more fun. Hey, Freedom 35, but let's be real here for a second. I'm not actually retired. I am retired from the profession of massage therapy, but what I'm doing these days is I am helping those who work in healthcare or fitness or wellness build practices and businesses that really align with who they are and what they want out of life. That is really my big mission. That is important to me. So if you head on over to happylittlebiz.com, you can read a little bit more about who I am and what I'm about and read some of my free articles that I have available. You can also keep listening to this weekly podcast. I'd love it if you did that. And actually speaking about that, if you do enjoy the podcast, if you find it helpful, I would be so appreciative if you would share this episode or share another episode with friends or relatives or other people you know who work in health and wellness and fitness so that we can have more people listening to the podcast. And the more people that listen, the more topic ideas or requests I get, the better the podcast is. It works out well for all of us. So you can just share this on social media. You can share it by email, wherever you like you want to go. Um, if you need a link, head on over to happylittlebiz.com. You can get a link to my podcast episodes there or You can just link people to Happy Little Biz. That would be great too. So thanks again. I really do appreciate it. This is it for this week's podcast and I will see you back here next week.